Portichell Foundation is proud to introduce you to Superior Educator Jamie Pelly from CLK Elementary. Her positivity is infectious and she captures the hearts of everyone she works with. Not only that, she is hardworking, caring, and dedicated to the students. Jamie shines at her job as an interventionalist, teaching students how to read. Her heart is larger than the size of Texas. CLK Elementary is blessed to call Jamie Pelly their own. If you know an amazing educator like Jamie, go to superioreducators.org and nominate them to be recognized as the next Superior Educator. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. We're brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. We are moving into the month of April. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and it is a topic that we've been talking about on this program and I've been talking about over my career for decades. It doesn't go away, but it's still essential that we keep trying to rid this scourge from our society. So I welcome in Iola Brubaker from the q Family Resource Center. We're going to talk about the problem, how it exists in our community, and if you suspect that you are watching a situation, what you do about it. So Iola, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It is. It's. I'll admit, this is one of those uh, topics that's a little frustrating for me because I'm asking the same questions and having the same conversation that I was having with people back when I started doing radio interviews in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, and this problem has been around for generations, but the thing is, is we know better, we do better. Mary Anglo said that, and, you know, and that's very true. As we learn more about child development and what parents need, we can start helping working towards prevention of child abuse where of child abuse and neglect prevention. I think one change that I have seen is that we tend to talk about it more and we tend not to write it off the way that we used to when I was young and as a kid uh, it, just, it was just part of parenting in some families for dad to slap the kids around or, or something like that. And we have gotten to the point where I think we more universally recognize that that is a wrong thing to do. Yeah, and we do universally recognize more about what neglect and abuse might look like. Um, there is some cultural differences that sometimes gets, comes into play there as well. And we also look at the strengths of the families and how can we support not just take the kids away from the families, but support them in being better parents and more supportive of their own children because we recognize those early experiences really make a difference. They do, and they set the pattern, unfortunately, for how that child eventually grows up, becomes a mother or a father, and treats their children. Yeah, our our early childhood experiences um, really set the pace. Uh, there's a new study, well, kind of a new study out there called Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, And that study looked particularly at how abuse and neglect, um, whether sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, how an absentee parent and how uh, violence in the home all impacted the child's long-term development. Those that have multiple experiences with those 10 things that they looked at actually have physiological um, adverse of results as adults, like heart disease and obesity. Really? And they can, if you have a high dose of adverse experiences as children, you can end up with um, dying 20 years younger than someone without those. Now, it's not a causation. It's a correlation. Like, the more you have, the more likely you are to die of heart disease, diabetes, obesity. Did they speculate as to why this is? Yeah, it has to do with... um, the way our DNA is wired. And so when um, our bodies are developing in those first five to 10 years, they, um, 
our DNA has switches. And so when you constantly under the stress of abuse, neglect, and adverse things, our certain switch gets turned on in our DNA, which then raises the, um, this is really unscientific explanation. Okay, but raises the scientific guys. It raises the cortisol levels in our bodies, which again causes us to overeat, and it causes our more stress on our hearts, and it causes, you know, just these adverse things. And it's not just the physiological side, but there's also the emotional side and the developmental side um, that we just aren't able to do some of the higher functioning things that our bodies were designed to do when we are just trying to survive an adverse situation. It almost sounds as if the abuse itself is not the problem. It's the threat of constantly living with and in fear of the abuse. I'm not going to negate the impact of the actual abuse because we all, well, maybe not everyone, I have stories that I can tell about children I've personally known that have experienced horrific things but those horrific things their bodies may heal sometimes they don't but most of the time the bodies heal but the emotional and trauma that was ingrained in them and those experiences live with them for life oh that's a that that's a frightening thing it is frightening that's why prevention and prevention awareness is so important so how do we here's here's a question that you won't have an answer to How do we change society? What do we do? This is such a dramatic thing. It is such a big problem. And yet we've had so little success in really turning the ship around. Yeah. Where I like to think about it is starting with the individual. Um, You know, we may not be able to personally impact the entire society, but we can impact our neighbors. We can impact our other people in our community. And at, at the QNA Family Resource Center where I work, we look at a strength-based approach to families, and we try to support families with developing five things that help bring prote- what we call protective factors into their families' lives. Now, define for me the difference between abuse and neglect. Yeah, the that's a tough one for me because um, I, I associate them I'm together. Sure, I'm sure but, it's not a bright line. Yeah, it's not a solid line. Uh, neglect really comes out of a lack of resources in many cases. They um, don't have adequate child care. They don't have adequate food or basic needs like diapers. That was actually going to be my next question. Mm-hmm. Are people who are, are parents who are neglectful How much of that is people who simply don't have the resources to do the things that they need to do, as opposed to people who just uh, are disinterested? Yeah, and that's the defining line. Um, And I I like to believe that all parents want to do well by their children, just many don't know how or are battling things in their own lives that make it difficult. Um, But a lot of neglect does come from just lack of resources. Now, occasionally that will, that occasionally, you know, mental health and, you know, substance misuse and all of those things also play into the neglect field. Um, But you think about um, if you are sitting in a a limited resource household and you're having to choose between paying this month's rent and purchasing diapers what do you do? Yeah. Uh, are you, you know, are you having to choose between buying food for the family and buying and um, hiring a babysitter to go to work, uh, especially in a community where we don't have evening and weekend hours for childcare, and our childcare system is very short. Yeah, we're, um, we're that's a major issue yeah, that we'll talk another about day. In, a, in a future program. 
Yeah. And then, you know, so let's use the diapers and rent situation. So do you let your child sit a little longer in that wet and dirty diaper in order to not use them as fast um, so that you have more money for something else? Possibly. Um, Do you, while you're working, do you let your child, your eight-year-old stay home alone so that you can go work and have money to pay rent next month? Um, yeah, you know, on a snow day, if you're a CNA at a, at a long-term care facility, what do you do with your, your six and seven, eight-year-old? Ho- hopefully you have someone that can help you. But if you don't, what do you do? Yeah, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't in right. many of these cases. And either way, frankly, you wind up with neglect. If you're mm-hmm. homeless, that's probably neglectful. If you don't put the diapers on the child or don't have the appropriate food in the house, uh, it's a terrible situation that some of these young families are in. Yeah, and then let's flip the coin around to the abuse side. So abuse, like we like to say it's a little more easy to identify Sometimes it's not. You've had a long day. You're highly frustrated. Your child's had a rough day at school. And you come home and you clash. And it's a matter of both equipping the parent and the child with the social-emotional development to navigate that clash without escalating to an abuse situation, either emotional or physical abuse. Um, And the sexual abuse is a little bit of a different category. Um, That one in my head is a little more clear cut, but it's still something that we as parents need to be on guard. Uh, most sexual abuse cases happen by someone they know. Yes. Um, you know, it's a boyfriend, a step parent, uh, an uncle. Um, you know, I don't want to say the world's unsafe, but we have to, you know, put some precautions in place to make sure that we know who's with our kids when yeah. they're with and that they're safe. Uh, physical abuse situations. Is there a difference between mom or dad flying off the handle every once in a while and or, or mom and dad having almost a pathological problem doing the beating consistently? I'm sure there's a difference. I'm not really qualified to answer that question. Um, and But either way, the child is hurt. And so we need to be able to help our parents have the tools to deal with the situational and the pathological. Um, and uh, many times, like you said before, it's a generational thing where, you know, they experienced this type of discipline as a child, and then they repeat that discipline as parents, and then the kids will repeat it with the next generation um, unless something changes in the middle there where we can know better to do better. And I think it's extraordinarily compelling that pattern that you grew up with. I mean, I can look back now, my my son is in his 40s, I can look back now and see things that I did when I was raising him that were based on things that my parents did when they were raising me. Now, fortunately, none of that was abusive. Thank God I had wonderful parents and, and, and never had to go through anything like that. But I can see those patterns, how I repeated them. And I'm sure that that is very difficult for someone who was abused to shake off. Yeah, and um, it's about us, and it is difficult, and I, they don't start off with like, wanting to be like, I'm I'm a lot like my mom, don't tell her this. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. I suspect there are a whole bunch of them who are saying, I'll never be like right. my mom or my dad. Yeah, and we say that, I'm not going to be like my mom and dad, but we pick up their habits and their mannerisms, and the, we react to situations the similar way, because that's what we know. And so by embedding those protections, 
protective factors I mentioned earlier into your lives and into the lives of the people around us, we learn to do better. We learn to change how we react. Um, these protective factors, they sound high fluent and complicated, but they're really quite simple. Okay. Um, the first one is making sure that you have what you need. Uh, so to prevent neglect, it's called concrete supports. So that's making sure that we have a diaper bank like we have at the Keweenaw Family Resource Center that is open to anyone. It's not an income-based uh, system because if you have high medical needs one month, you're going to might need help. Yeah. Um, so it's open to anyone regardless of income and families can come up to once a week. You know, we have food programs. Uh, we have Head Start, Early Head Start Um you know, for that childcare piece. Now, again, we, we'll come back to childcare another week, but I don't want them to say that we have enough. Um, the next one is social connections. It's about having people you can call on when you're, when you, you need something or you're stressed. Uh, snow day. Do you have a family friend that doesn't necessarily has a more flexible job? Can they watch your kids? And then the next time you watch theirs. Yeah. Um, or during the pandemic, uh, we had one family that met at our programs that, they watched the other person's children so that mom could go to the doctors during the pain. Yeah. And so, and yeah. It, cause you couldn't take your kids with you at that point. Right. And so those social connections become key. I mean, like I have a huge extended family and I wouldn't know what I wouldn't do if I had an emergency and I couldn't call my brother. But there are a lot of people who are here who do not have right. extended families. Where do they turn for that kind of social net? Oh, well, that's a lot of why the Keweenaw Family Resource Center looks like we're all fun and games. we we do a lot of play groups and social connections, uh, like a lot of events that potentially bring people together to meet each other. So, and it doesn't have to necessarily be like a play group at the Keweenaw Family Resource Center. It can be a local club. It could be a local congr faith congregation. Yeah. But you build those connections, and that's important. Um, and, you know, trying to help those that are isolated. You know, if you have a neighbor that has kids that looks like they don't have a lot of people over, Go meet them. That's something you can do. Be that friend. Be that social connection. And I think we're falling away from that as a society. Church attendance is way, way down. Um, social groups and clubs uh, have pretty much gone by the way. Uh, even the, 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 the old-fashioned, you know, the Rotary Clubs and Lions right. Clubs and such, they simply don't draw people in the way that they used to. We have so much to do at home. We have all we have Netflix and all of the things that we can it, do at home. We don't have to go out. We never go out. Yeah, and we get social interactions through Facebook, but those don't provide that same support in those situations. I, I'm highly stressed. I need a friend to talk to. I, I can go online and talk to someone online, but I, it's different than going out, sitting down over a cup of coffee and say, hey, this is what's happening with my kids. Iola Brubaker, what else is on that uh, list? Um, so there's three other things on that list. One is parent resilience, um, teaching parents how, like when something stressful happens, how they can overcome it, and that makes them stronger for the next time to overcome it and build resilience. Uh, the other one is social-emotional development of children. That's helping the children to have the words and the emotional maturity to navigate strong strong challenges that's um and if they have the ability to not just scream at the top of their lungs when something goes wrong that's less stressful for the parent but also the kids have the words to ask for help when they need it and then the last one is knowledge of child development um, and that's a parent focused one if we understand how kids develop we are way more likely to have realistic expectations of what our kids can do. My kid is not dragging their feet out the door to make me late. They're trying to learn to put their shoes on. Talking with Iola Brubaker from the Keweenaw Family Resource Center. I th think it's been said many times over the years 
that parenting is probably the most important thing that any of us will ever do. And there is essentially no training required or provided. <laughs> no. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And what you're talking about sounds like good training, but it also, I have to say, sounds like a lot of work, especially for a family that maybe has two or three kids running around at home and they're just trying to keep their heads above water. Oh, it's absolutely. I had four kids under the age of five at one point and it oh, was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, my life was mainly just trying to survive. Um, we have good quality programs here that can help families. Uh, like I said, everyone can be someone's neighbor. Everyone can watch for instances of abuse, neglect, and call the right, um, you know, call DHHS to report it. Um, but we also have great high-quality trained individuals at Early Head Start and Head Start and at Cumana Family Resource Center, at UP Kids, at the health department that come alongside families that are struggling, that just want to know more and to do better. Uh, these are called home visiting programs. Uh, and what we do is we pair a family with a professional that can go into the home or meet at a neutral location just to help them guide and build these protective factors I mentioned into their lives. Is there a reluctance on the part of parents to do that. I don't want to have to admit that I need this kind of help. Other parents are getting along fine. I don't, I don't want to look weak and, and such. Um, yeah, there is a reluctance. Those programs are actually underutilized in our community. Um, but when, here's one of the things that we as Americans have to realize that in Europe, every family gets a home visitor when their child's born in many of the countries. And they might not utilize them at the same extent as someone who's struggling. But our kids don't come with instruction booklets. No. I mean, all of us have something to learn. Even even those who are in early childhood education are always learning how to do better. Um, and so, like, this program is never meant to be a stigma program. It's not admitting that you have a problem. It's admitting that you want to do better. You want to make sure that your child has every opportunity to be the most successful individual they can be. And let's admit that there are some children who are easier to raise than others. Oh, absolutely. I have four. <laughs> I won't tell you which one's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but but those kids who present challenges to parents, how does a parent get help in dealing with that rebellious child or that child mm -hmm. who's just completely unmotivated? Yeah, first of all, they need to um, and be okay with asking for help. Um, that's one of the things that we promote very heavily is everyone needs help at some time. And so if you're struggling, please ask. Whether that's your parents, your friends, or a professional organization like the Resource Center, um, it's a no-judgment zone at the Resource Center. Just let us know. And sometimes we have the right answers, and sometimes we just have the right ear to listen. Um, we've had parents talk to us about how their kids won't go to bed at night and how frustrating that is. We've had parents tell us that their child is four and not talking and they don't know how to get help for that. Um, they have, uh, you know, so we've seen all the, we, you know, we have occasionally we'll have someone come in and saying, my living situation is not good. I'm, you know, I'm not safe at home. Can you help? And we yeah. get, we, we can't help directly, but we know who to call to get help. We're, yeah. You know, the Resource Center is supposed to be a safe place for families to come and, with no judgment, seek out the, what they need. You mentioned that any neighbor, somebody who's familiar with the family, if they see a perceive a problem, can call uh, child services and report that. When do you do that? Because, I, um, I mean, I'm looking at my neighbors thinking there might be something going on there, but boy, if I paint them with that brush, they're going to be, ugh. It's important to know that it's an anonymous system. 
Um, you will have to give your name and some information about you about yourself when you call. Uh, but that information is only utilized if they need to follow up for clarification. It's an 800 number that rings downstate. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Um, but it's anonymous. The family that gets reported never knows who's going to report. It could be a teacher. It could be a police officer. It could be a neighbor. They don't know. There are some people who are required to. Yes. Uh, teachers, health professionals and such, uh, if they suspect abuse, they are required to do that. Yeah, those mandated reporters know who they are, pastors, teachers, yeah. uh, child care providers. Those are all mandated. Um, and there's other ones on that list. But even if you're not a mandated reporter, there is no harm in report. Uh, you know, they someone will look at the situation and say that's unsubstantiated. They may not even follow up. They may follow up with a couple of quick questions. Um, and often those reports get the family put in the pipeline for help. Um, when a family has concerns but not abuse or neglect, they have access to state-funded programs that will go in and directly support them. And so that could be, you know, watch out for that unsupervised child. Watch out for um, instances that, you know, you may see someone mistreating their child. And it may be more subtle, like... No one's there to greet the child when they get off the bus, but are there 10 minutes later. You know, some of that, you know, that's there's not... a little give and take. There's a little give and take, but the, the main philosophy we use is um, report it and let the, the authorities figure out whether it's a real issue or not. And the goal from the, the authorities is always going to be if there's a way to keep the family together and improve the situation, that's what we're going to do. Only in real extraordinary situations are they going to go in and say, okay, kids are coming with me right now. Yeah, it's it would have to be a pretty high, um, pretty challenging situation and immediate danger for a child to be removed from a home. And this is a shift in the system. So we used to remove the kids and then do reunification uh, later, but we recognize that the removing of the kids is a adverse childhood experience in and of itself. And traumatic costs, for the kids. Traumatic for the kid, traumatic for the parent, traumatic for the, everyone. And the emotional stability of that kid's directly impacted by that experience. So now we ha bring people in first and we try to um, navigate the system. Even once a child is removed, we have many, many, many opportunities for those families to work on developing the skill sets and the tools they need to be a successful parent. Um, and, you know, so the goal is always to keep the primary family together. How often is that successful? Um, I think it's more times than not. Um, you know, we see, we have a huge demand for foster families. I'm not in that field. I know we have a shortage of foster families yeah. here. Um, but my experience with many foster homes is that the parent, the foster parents are, have many different kids come through their care because the children are you reunified with their, fa their birth families. Real quick, as we get to the end of this, how big a problem does substance abuse, alcohol abuse play into all this? It plays a huge role. Um, uh, there is many statistics out there that I don't have in the tip of my head about how substance misuse disorders impact the household. Um, I have some personal stories from my dad growing up about his parents' misuse about drugs and alcohol and how that impacted him and his brothers and sisters. Uh, I think that a lot of times um, 
you know, anytime we're impairing our judgment, we can't always make the best decisions for our children, even when we want to. Uh, sleep deaths is one that I think of most commonly. Um, you know, sleep deaths is the number one accidental death of children outside of car accidents under the age of 12 months. Uh, sleep death is... Um, SIDS, they used to call it, sudden infant death syndrome. Sometimes, but also could be a suffocation with a pillow because the child rolled over and couldn't breathe Ah, or a blanket. There's a lot of rules around safe sleep now that we didn't used to have. I have Um, no idea how I made it to adulthood. (laughs) Sometimes I don't either. I was in the wrong crib, Um, sleeping on my stomach, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and there's some statistics out there about some of these accidental deaths are happening because the parents are not quite aware of not all of them i like we've had some in the community yeah. which are totally just sudden infant death there's no explanation so i don't want parents thinking i'm judging them it's not the case no. but there are some instances where the parent didn't wake up or didn't hear or see or and sometimes that's where the neglect comes in um you know and as far as safe sleep goes you know don't sleep them with blankets don't sleep them with pillows make sure they're on a firm foundation make sure they're in a proper sleep environment all of that yeah. helps um we do have to wrap this up. Yeah. I'm pretty much out of time here, but uh, Iola Brubaker, if folks need help or maybe they see a neighbor that needs help and, and could, can they refer them to you, how do they get in touch with the QNF Family Resource um, Center? We are an optional program, but they can call us at 906-482-9363. Um, we usually don't take referrals, but we direct family contact. Um and if they need additional help, like if they have questions about what to do with that family that they want to refer to, they can call us and ask us for some advice, and we'll be able to direct them to that 800 number or to another program that may be useful for the family. All right. Well, thank you for the good work that you folks are doing, and thank you for coming in on Copper Country today. Thank you. Thank you.